You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Uh, If you would open up to Exodus chapter 2, we're going to be in the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 2 this morning, and um, I'm going to read them, and then we'll work our way back through them. And so uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we read this. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stooped at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we come to a section of Scripture that may be familiar to some of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us fresh eyes to see your word. And I pray that you would teach us. And I pray that you would equip us. And I pray that you'd meet us where we are and that you would use us, Lord. And the Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. And that you'd give us all ears to hear this morning, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the announcement that I forgot, so you have to bear with me. I'm Polish. You should know this by now. Uh, Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class, we're talking about personal evangelism, so hopefully you'll join us. Uh, Those of you that join us online and want to be a part of that, uh, don't worry. You'll be able to do that in a couple weeks. Uh, More information on that to come. But anyways, Exodus chapter 2. You want to do an exercise with me this morning? Some of you like, does exercise mean I have to get up and move? If so, no, but no. Uh, this exercise, you don't have to get up and move. I would like you to mentally think back over the course of your life and ask you what the scariest thing you ever, ever had to do was. Not the hardest, but the scariest. Maybe they're the same, maybe not. But think back over your life, and what is one of the scariest things you've ever had to do in your life? And I know that's a big question. Marriage is one of them, and I, and I don't mean that as a joke. Marriage is a, a scary thing. It's a serious thing. It's a huge thing, right? Having kids is a scary thing. We go, I think we're going to have kids. And it's scary because when a couple things, let's have a baby. They're thinking, oh, look at the little cute outfit and all those little nice little toys. They're not thinking about the $14,000 a year in diapers. Uh, they're not thinking about that the child's going to be older and eat, you know, 14 pounds of food a day. Uh, they're not thinking about those things. And so having kids is scary. Maybe it's buying a new car. When we had to buy our 15-passenger uh, van, um, 
for the wheelchair lift, I went to three to four different dealerships and I go, I know what I want, but I need to know this one measurement. And none of them knew it. They hadn't been selling the vans in the United States for long and I actually knew more about these vans than the dealerships did. And I go, I just need one measurement and I'll give you $40,000 for a vehicle. Like that's all, just one measurement, right? And none of them knew that. And so we bought a van and I just pray, Lord, I need this measurement to work so that we can put the tie downs for the wheelchair in it and have enough room. Thankfully, the Lord worked. That knew, that was very scary, Right. Perhaps for some of you, it was starting a new job. Coming here to be the pastor of the church in 2007 was one of the scariest things I have ever done. I didn't know anybody here at the church. A little, very, very loosely did I know a few people. I'd never really been a full-time pastor before. I was slicing lunch meat six weeks before I started here. Right? It was incredibly scary. And maybe it might have been more scary for the church to have me come to be the pastor than it was for me. To, for me, Maybe, I don't know. But what about you? What is the scariest thing you've ever had to do in your life or one of them? You have the answer in your head? Now, what played a role in you getting through that or doing that event? You see, this morning we see just that type of event. A situation that could be the answer to that very question of what is the scariest thing you've ever had to do. You see, this morning we meet a man and a woman who has a child in one of the worst and scariest times to ever have a child. But it is in that event that we see what plays a role for just about everyone when they are faced with events like that. We see faith. This morning, we're going to see the faith of this couple and the faith that they planted into their child that would grow up and change a nation. See, faith, a right faith in the right person, changes absolutely everything. Everything. And so this morning, I have two points for you. Who was Moses and the seed of faith? And so we got to get into it. And I just really just went to get my remote and change the slide and it wasn't there. So bear with me. I'm going to not know what to do with my hands a little bit. So I may look more Italian this week than normal. So, so who is Moses? Well, verses one to two, let's read them. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And so we come to chapter two of the book of Exodus. And you don't know, we started our series last week going through the book of Exodus. And in this chapter, we see a love story, if you will. We see two people, a man and a woman, who fall in love and they get married. And don't forget about what we talked about last week. You see, when this couple gets married, they are part of the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation are slaves to the nation of Egypt. They are oppressed. And as we saw last week, the nation of Egypt is making their lives bitter in any and every way that they can. And so it's not really a great time to get married because there's just oppression and slavery all over the place. Now, we're not told of their names here in chapter 2, but we are told their names in chapter 6. This couple's name is Amram. He's the husband. And Jochebed, or Yochebed, depending on how you want to tr- pronounce it. They get married and they start a family. They have a daughter that we see mentioned this morning, but we'll 
talk about her a little bit later in the book of Exodus. Her name is Miriam. And then they have another son. His name is Aaron. And we'll see him later on in the book as well. But then the Lord lays on their heart going, you know what? I think God wants us to have more children. And so they have another child. And as we'll see, this child is born. And his name is Moses. But we read that she gave birth to a son, and that this son was a beautiful child. Now, some of your Bibles may say he was a fine child or a good child. But Moses is born, and we're told that he's beautiful. Do you know who wrote the book of Exodus? Moses. Right? And then Moses is telling us that he, that you could tell Moses is the baby of the family because the babies of the family don't get any of the parents' attention and so they have to do things like this. Right? Some of you firstborn, you know, it's, it's not like that. And so Moses is like, I'm the beautiful child. But this gives us a little bit of a problem. And here's why. You see that word beautiful there or good or fine that you have in your Bible, it actually means good. It means favorable. It could also, also mean special, that word. You know, pastor, why are you bringing that up? Because of this wording here, there has always been a tradition, if you would, that there was something special about Moses that made his parents go, there's something special about him. Now, let's face it, every parent looks at their child and goes, oh, they're so special, right? We've all done that. That's not what we're talking about here. Like, there are traditions that say that Moses was glowing when he was born. There's other traditions that say that when Moses was just a couple days old, he was able to fully speak and eat solid food, right? That so like within a week, you're like, hey, Moses, what do you want for dinner? Well, a steak, potatoes, like he's able to communicate that at like four days old and eat that, right? That's not what this word is getting to. There's just something about Moses that made something click in his parents' mind. Going, God might be doing something here. But in that is the scariest part of this event. You see, Amram and Jochebed, they conceived and gave birth to Moses during the edict that Pharaoh gave out that we talked about last week. If you remember from last week, we saw that Pharaoh was afraid of the Hebrews because there were so many of them. And so he came up with two ways to kill off the Israel race. He told the midwives, when a woman gives birth to a male, kill him instantly. That didn't work as we saw last week. And so Pharaoh then gave an edict to everybody, everybody living in Egypt. He goes, when a Hebrew woman gives birth to a male, throw him in the Nile. And I told you this last week, if it's your grandmother, if it's an aunt, if it's a neighbor, if you're out at the store, if you're just walking, or maybe they would just come into your house and go, oh, male Hebrew child, I'm taking him, throwing him into the Nile River to kill him, and nothing could be done about it from a legal sense. So imagine you being pregnant and then giving birth to a, a male under that edict, that your son can be thrown into the Nile River and there's not one single thing you could do about it. You think there's some fear in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, Moses was born with a death sentence upon him. As soon as he was born, it was okay. Somebody needs to put him to death. Moses, you're going to die. Imagine that. 
Talk about something that is scary. So what happens? Well, long story short, Moses, as many of you know, and as you will see, he survives this. God does a work in Moses' life, and Moses gets out of it, as you're going to see over the next hour, okay? Moses gets out of this. You're all a little tired this morning, so i got to bring you in here. I don't know if it's dark up here, but you gotta, you got to wake up, all right? So what happens to Moses? He gets through this, and you could break up Moses' life in three periods of time. You ready? Three 40-year periods of time. Joe, three periods of 40 years. How, many, how long is that? All right, Joe, you didn't let me down, right? Uh, 120 years. Moses lived to be 120 years old, okay? His life is broken down into three 40-year periods. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was pampered because he was part of the royal family. Anything and everything that you could think that the grandson of the Pharaoh would have at his disposal, Moses had for 40 years, but then something happened, which we'll talk more about next week, happened and Moses ran off. He ran into the desert, the wilderness. And for the next 40 years, he wasn't pampered, but he was being prepared. God was preparing Moses for something and it took 40 years to prepare him. Then at age 80, Moses comes back to Egypt to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And for the last 40 years of his life, from age 80 to 120, Moses was pastoring. He was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And so you have those three periods of his life. Pampering, preparing, pastoring. I like how one commentator says it. That Moses spent the first part of his life thinking he was somebody. Spent the middle part of his life realizing that he was nobody. And then the last part of his life where he realized that God could take a nobody and make him somebody. Because that's exactly what God did. But here's my question. God used Moses when he was 80. Why do you keep thinking that your age keeps you from serving the Lord? Well, I'm older. I don't have to do anything for the Lord. I put my time in. Moses was 80. He was 80. Well, then you go the other way. Well, I'm too young. Well, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Why do you keep looking at your age as a reason not to do something for the Lord? It, it just doesn't, it doesn't go that way. Not at all. It's never too late for you to do something for the Lord. It's never too late to start serving the Lord. Moses was 80 when he started. I have almost 40 years to go before I'm even at Moses' age. I hope God doesn't call me to start pastoring when I'm 80 because then I don't know what I've done for the 60 years before that. Well, we think, well, I have this or I have done that. So did Moses. You know, Moses was a murderer. He killed somebody. We'll talk about that next week. He killed somebody. Do you know that Moses had a speech issue? Trust me, we'll talk about that. You know that Moses battled depression and anxiety? You know Moses battled suicidal thoughts? Where he would actually pray, God, will you just take me? I can't take this anymore. Just take me away. I'm done. I'm done. You see, we sit back and we go, I can't serve the Lord. I'm an introvert or I have anxiety and I have worry and I have stress and I have this and I'm dealing with that and I'm not good at this area and I'm too young and I'm too old. And Moses goes, nope, you can't do that. 
Because God doesn't allow us. God has given you what He has given you to be used by you for His glory. And that's what we see in Moses. So what are you doing for the Lord? How are you serving Him? You see, one of the things that enabled Moses to do what he does, I'm still going for my remote, is a seed of faith that was planted within him. You see, his parents planted a seed of faith in him. A seed of not, you know, you can do anything you set your heart to. Not you can do it because you're you. They didn't tell him, Moses, you can do anything because you're the best. Like you, you have it within you to do it. They didn't go, Moses, just follow your heart and everything is going to work out great. They didn't tell them all that stuff because none of that is true. What they did do is plant a seed of faith within him. A faith not in himself, but a faith in God. And that's what they did. They told Moses, like, you need to follow the Lord. They taught him. You think, well, how did they do that? Well, we'll get to that in a few moments. But I don't have my screen, so I have to find the Scriptures in the Bible. You go, how, did, how do we know that Moses' and Moses's parents did this? Well, see, the reason that Amram and Jochebed were able to do what they did in that time of oppression, how do you have a baby... Where the national law is to kill every male child. Do you have a baby in that scary period of time? Well, the New Testament told, tells us they had an unshakable faith. And the reason we know this, and I would have it on the screen for you, but we, we're, we're powerless with that this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, for those of you that you could look it up later. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, we read this. By faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. How can they do this? How can they, in the time of oppression and slavery and death sentence on any male child, how can they have a child? How do they go through that scary time? And they do it by faith. We're literally told, he goes, by faith they did this. And later on in the verse it tells us, they're not afraid of the king's edict. Imagine that. Imagine being a slave and having that edict of death upon your unborn child and going, I don't care what the Pharaoh says, we're going to have a baby anyways. And we're going to do it. And it's all by faith. Faith in God, they trusted the Lord. They had a fear of God like we talked about last week. Their trust was in Him, in God. But here's the thing. What is faith? What's faith? Well, do you know the Bible actually gives us a definition of faith? It's actually in the same chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me read that to you again. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. One writer says it this way, a commentary. He goes, this definition of faith contains two aspects. Intellectual assent and trust. Intellectual assent is believing something to be true. 
Trust is actually relying on the fact that something is true. For example, you all came in here this morning and you said, ooh, a pew. I'm going to sit in a pew. Why did you sit in the pew? Why are you sitting in the pew? Because you came in here this morning and you go, oh, a pew, those are made for me to sit in. Which is a true statement, right? Pews are made for you to sit in. You go, that will support me. And so what did you do because you knew something was true? You acted upon it and you sat down. What if I told you, though, this week that I cut one of the pew's legs this morning and that one of you are sitting on a pew with legs that are cut? Does that change your feeling at all? You're like, no, I got it, Pastor. It's all, it's all good. You see, faith is going, that's true. Now I'm going to rest on it. I'm going to put all my weight on it. I'm going to rely on it. Because none of you are hovering over the pew, right? None of you are like just holding yourself above the pew, making it look like you're sitting. All your weight is on that pew. You want to know how I know? Because at least three of you fall asleep every Sunday. Not the same people, right? But at least two to three people fall asleep every Sunday. I know this. I've known it every Sunday for 16 years, right? I got it. How do you fall asleep in one of the most uncomfortable things that has ever been made for somebody to sit in, right? You trust it, and you put all your weight on it. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, right? This is nice, right? All your weight is on it. You want to know why? Because you have faith in the pew that it's going to hold you up. That's faith. You go, this is true. You know that something is true, and so you rely on it. You put all your weight, all your trust on it. That is faith. Faith is not just believing that something is true, but trusting it and putting all your weight on it. And here's the thing. Everybody... Even the atheist and the agnostic practices faith every day. Did you know that? Every single person. Faith in your legs to get up and walk. Faith that your employer can actually pay you for working. Did you know that? You go to work tomorrow, how do you know your employer actually has the money to pay you? Unless you're the treasurer, you don't. And so you're going to go to work tomorrow by faith that they'll be able to pay you. That's faith. How about faith is that your spouse didn't put anything in your eggs when they gave you eggs for breakfast, right? Amy made me, she, Amy actually made me eggs yesterday. I wrote this on Friday, just so you know, so this is before. She offered to make me eggs yesterday for breakfast. Never happens, right? Because I have four kids, right? Faith is when they bring you the plate of food going, I know they didn't put anything in here that they're not supposed to, right? That's faith. That is faith. And then I ate the eggs. They were good. Thank you, right? That is faith. Everybody practices faith every single day. The problem with faith, though, is this. And you've heard this. Faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Did you know that? If the pew you're sitting in is broken, are you going to have a lot of faith that is going to hold you up? I'll give you another example. Everybody but my family drove here today, came in a car. Maybe you didn't drive, but you sat in a car that somebody drove here, right? That was an act of faith. 
You got in your car going, I don't think my car's going to blow up when I turn the key. I don't think the engine's going to blow up when I'm driving down Main Street in Plymouth. That's faith, and so you acted. But what if the car was bad? I had a Chevy Cavalier once, right? Do you remember it? Right? Chevy Cavalier would do this. The windshield wipers would stop working whenever they felt like it, right? I'm driving on the Cross Valley in the middle of a rainstorm, windshield wipers stop, right? The other thing about the car is this. The car would turn off whenever it wanted to as well. Just driving down the road. I was driving around Public Square one time in the middle of a turn, car shut off, right? Great thing. Oh, it would also, every once in a while when I put the key in the, the ignition, smoke would come out of it, right? Right? That was my car, right? How much faith do you think I had in that car? Right? Not much. Why? Because the object that I was putting faith in was like, eh, kind of broken, kind of messed up. And so faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. See, Moses' parents, their faith was not in themselves. They didn't go, I got this. We can do this. Their faith wasn't in their abilities, not at all. Their faith wasn't in the money that they had. Their faith wasn't in the jobs that they had. Their faith was not in the government. It was not in the doctors. Their faith wasn't even in each other. Their faith was in God, the one true God. Where is your faith this morning? Where is your trust? What are you relying on when it comes to your life? What is the pillar that you're putting everything on? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your kid? Is it your job? Is it your title? Is it your ego? Is it your bank account? Is it your car? What is it? What is your faith in that you're building everything on? Because if you sit there and say that it is the Lord... Well, then you need to realize that that faith needs to be seen. That a true faith in God is seen, tested, and matured in four areas or four ways. So I went for the remote again, and it's not, it's not going very well for me on that today. Number one, faith in the Lord is seen, tested, and matured in this, releasing. Faith is seen in releasing. Letting something go. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated with tar and pitch. Then she placed a child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Picture that. You're three month old. Just ate breakfast. And now you're placing them in a basket. And you're walking down to the Susquehanna. And you put the basket in the Susquehanna River. And you just go, okay, Lord. And you walk away. That's releasing, isn't it? That's releasing. 
Think about this. Having a baby is hard enough. Then they hit him for three months. I have no idea how you hide a newborn baby for three months. No idea. They get bigger and louder every single day. And all through that, at any given moment, somebody could barge in your house and steal your child. So Yochebed, Moses' mom, built an ark. Think of a wicker basket. Coated with pitch and tar, which is just a waterproofing sealant, if you would. And then placed him in the reeds in the Nile River. Imagine that. Faith in the Lord, true faith in the Lord, is seen in, tested by, and matured in releasing someone or something. A parent releasing a child, like we see here. Faith is seen when you release the grudge that you've been carrying for 50 years. Maybe it hasn't been 50 years. Maybe it's been one year. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been two weeks. But you release that grudge. Faith in Jesus has matured when we release the fear that we have because of someone or something. There comes a time in our lives in order for you to grow in your faith in Christ, to truly live by faith, you have to release You have to let go. When it comes to the kids, Lord, they're older. There's nothing more I could do. There's nothing more I can say. I I just have to give them to You. Lord, I've been holding on to this grudge and this pain for, for so long that if I let go of it, I don't even know who I am anymore because it's become such a sense of identity for me. And you're holding on to the pain and the grudge. You won't forgive Faith in Jesus means that you are to release. You are to let go. Because you know Jesus. You go, Jesus, you're God and I'm not. You have the time frame. I don't have the time frame. You have the plan. I don't have a plan. You know the end from the beginning. I don't know that. I need to trust in you. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I, I, you have to let go. Because that is faith. That is giving the, the fear and the worry and the anxiety over to Jesus. And you go, I, I can't do this. And the picture that I had in my mind this morning when I was going over this, how many of you ever flown a kite before? Only like six of you have ever flown a kite before. So we're going to do it this week, all right? You can come down and fly a kite, right? I was flying a kite with Noah about a week and a half ago in the parking lot, right? So you all know what it looks like to fly a kite, right? All right, so there, there we go, right? Oh, so, some of you feel like this. That you have about 200 kites tied to you, and they're all up in the sky. Fear. And that has its own set of kites, from kids to work to finances, worry, anxiety, overwhelm, marriage, And all those kites are pulling you in all different directions. And you're trying to hold on to each one of them. And you're trying to direct them. And you're trying to take care of them. And you can't do that. Faith is going, Jesus, I trust you. Taking the scissors and cutting the string so that kite is no longer tied to you. That you're giving it to Jesus. Some of you will not release things in your life Because you're doubting Christ. You don't think He will or can act. And He can. 
faith is seen and tested and matured in us releasing. What won't you release over to Jesus for Him to work in your life to take care of going, you know what you're doing. You're good and you're just and you're not going to miss the boat. You're going to take care of all of it. And I said, so I just give it to you. What will you not release to Jesus? But there's a second thing. Faith in Jesus is realizing a dead end is not always a dead end. This is number two. Faith is realizing a dead end is not always a dead end. And this is verses 5 through 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Faith in Christ is realizing a dead end is not always a dead end. See, putting your baby in the Nile River in a basket you made does not give you much hope of the baby's survival, does it? Not at all. I don't know if you've ever seen the Nile River. It's not the safest place to go, especially when mom makes a wicker basket. Maybe she is really good at it, but still, eh, I don't know how many moms are putting a three-month-old in a wicker basket that they made, right? It's not all that much of of a safe raft, if you would. And you think the door is closed, that things aren't going to work out too well. Well, the door is not always closed with God. And so they place Moses in the river, but they also know that the Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the Nile. And you go, why is that? Well, that was actually very common. Because for the Egyptians, the Nile was a very sacred place. It was a place where they would often do parts of their, their religion, part of their worship. You see, to the Egyptians, they thought one of their gods, Osiris, well, who was one of the chief gods, was in charge of that delta region. And that he would give life. And a lot of times, women who have not had children, they would go down into the Nile and they would say this type of prayer, hoping that Osiris would enable them to have children. And so she's down there and she sees this basket and she has someone bring it to her. And Moses is crying. Okay, so picture this. You fill a room with women, okay, right? You put women of all sorts of age in a room, right? And then you put a three-month-old baby in there that cries. What is going to happen? When all the women in that room hear the three-month-old baby cry, what's going to happen? Oh, I got to go take care of that kid. Even if you've never met the person before, like, oh, I think they need this. And I think I need, I, it's that mother's heart. You put a crying three-month-old in a room with men, what's going to happen? There's a baby crying, or just give them a piece of pizza, everything will be fine. Women are like, oh, let me hold you, let me rock you, let me pat you on the back. You need food, you, like all sorts of things. It's the mother's heart. And so the, Moses cries at the right time and melts the heart of daughter, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And she's like, oh, I know my dad put in this edict that you need to be killed. Oh, but you're so cute. I'm going to take you as my own. And so she tries to find someone to nurse Moses. 
There was nobody around that could nurse Moses. And so it just so happens, Moses' sister Miriam is there because she's been watching the whole thing, and she pops up and goes, do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse this Hebrew baby? And Pharaoh's daughter goes, yes, please, because he won't stop crying, right? And so where do you think she goes? She goes back home to get mom. Mom, guess what? The Pharaoh's daughter picked up Moses, and now she wants you to come and nurse him. And so what happens? Yochebed gets there, and Pharaoh's daughter goes, I'm going to adopt this baby, but I need somebody to nurse him. Will you nurse him for me? And when the time comes, you bring him back to me. I will protect you so you don't have to worry about anybody killing this Hebrew child. Not only that, I will pay you to take care of your own child. Moms, how great would that be, right? I'm going to pay you to take care of your own children, right? And so Yochebed's like, sure, why not? And so now, for the next, listen, two, three years, maybe four years, guess who's raising Moses? His mom. The nursing here is not a three-month period of time. He would be three, four, we'll just say argument's sake, two to five years by the time he gets back to the Pharaoh's daughter. A dead end is not always a dead end. You see, everything looked like a dead end for Moses. It looked like there was no hope, no life, no chance. Faith is realizing that Jesus determines how things go, not the world. Do you know that? Faith is realizing that Jesus determines how things go, not the world. Your spouse goes, I'm done. The doctor says the cancer is back. The school teacher goes, no way I see you passing this class. The world goes, there's no way you can make this. There's no way you can do this. You can't do this. You don't have the gifts. You don't have the skill set. Absolutely no way you can do this. Faith, true faith in the living God is this, going, Yes, from a human perspective, you're absolutely right. But because of God, that's not the end of the story. God can do what He wants when He wants. That in Christ, there's always hope. That Jesus brings hope to the hopeless and life from death. Beauty from the ashes. This is what Jesus does. This world does not have the final say with anything. And some of you are going through things. You're like, I don't know if there's life. I don't know if there's hope. I don't know if there's light at the end of the tunnel. And everything seems like it's a dead end. Jesus goes, no. Faith in me means there's always hope. There's always a chance. No matter how many degrees the person have, this world does not have the final say. The final say belongs to Jesus. But there's more to faith. Number three is this. Faith is planting knowing you might not see the fruit. Planting, but not knowing if you'll see the fruit. Not many of you will plant something in your garden and go, oh, I'll never see that. You won't plant something you're not going to see or enjoy the fruit of. Well, that's what Miriam, I mean, Jochebed and Amram did with Moses. See, when it comes to faith, you need to be okay with never seeing the fruit of what you plant. Verse 10, 
When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It was hard enough to put Moses in the river, but then when he was like two, three, four years old, and Jacobet had to take him back to Pharaoh's daughter, she had to release him for a second time. Imagine releasing the child back for a second time. That was hard. But you know what Jochebed did in those few years that she had with Moses? She planted the seed of faith in Moses. She planted that seed in him, and she cultivated it, and she watered it, and she fed it, and she, t- she tended to it. She taught as much as she possibly could to Moses about, about the Lord. She taught him the Scriptures and probably even got him to memorize Scripture at three, four years of age? Absolutely. Well, that can't happen. Yes, it can. You ever see a kid three years old sing a theme song to a TV show? And you go, they can't memorize Scripture? Yes, they can. She taught as much as she could about the Lord. She did everything she could in those years. Planted faith and Scripture and love and prayer in Moses about the Lord. And she waited. And she waited to see fruit. She waited to see something come from what she planted. But do you know she never saw that? She never saw the fruit that came from the the seed of faith that she planted. Because when she sends Moses back to Pharaoh, Moses will spend the next 35, 37 years of his life fighting for Egypt, going to the schools of Egypt, just being taught everything about the Egyptians. And then he goes off into the desert for 40 years. So if your child lives to 80, and they're at least your third-born child, do you think you're going to be alive when they come back? Probably not. She never saw what Moses became. She never saw the planting of her faith in the Lord produce fruit in the life of Moses. Do you know that some people believe that Moses would have been the next Pharaoh? One of the names I gave you last week was that the Pharaoh who was Pharaoh in all of this was Thutmose I. He didn't have any sons. And so Moses as an adopted grandson could have been the very next Pharaoh. But he didn't. Faith in the Lord is realizing that you may not get to see the seed of your faith in the child or a friend or a neighbor ever bear fruit. And some of you are worried about that. Some of you are just struggling with that. You may be gone before that seed matures into something else and you need to be okay with that. You need to trust God that He's going to work according to His time frame and His goodness and His plan and His justice. Faith is realizing that when you plant something, you may not get to see the fruit of it because God's working. There's one last aspect of faith. Faith is seen in action, not settling down. Faith is seen in action, not settling down. And in verses 1 through 4, Jochebed and Amram trusted the Lord. They had faith in God, but they didn't sit back and go, okay, Lord, do something. Because that's what we tend to do. God, I trust you, and so I'm just going to wait for you to do something. And we wait. Then we sit around and we wait. 
And we wait. And you're like, Pastor, the sermon's getting longer, I know, but I want you to get the point. And we wait. And we never do anything. Yokobed goes, God, I trust you. I believe in you. So I'm going to build a basket. I'm going to waterproof it. I'm going to put my son in it. And I'm going to put it in the river because I trust you. Faith is seen in action, not settling down. They did something with their faith, in light of their faith. James tells us that without action, faith is dead. If we have no actions that show our faith, no actions that show we trust God, then do you actually have faith in God? If there's nothing in your life that shows you trust God, then do you actually trust Him? If there's nothing in your life that shows other people, your family members, that your faith is in God, then do you actually have faith? Faith is not sitting around waiting for the Lord to do something. It's going, because I have faith in God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try to do that, and I'm going to step out and give in that area, and I'm going to serve in that area because I trust God. I have faith in Him. So let me ask you, what action do you need to take? Do people know that you have a faith in God? You see, for some of you, you have faith, but there may not be any actions in your life that shows that faith. Walking in the doors of a church does not mean you have faith in God. Do you know that? Everybody thinks, oh, I went to church on Sunday, which means I have faith. No, it doesn't. Sharing the gospel with somebody, stepping out to serve, to love, stepping outside of your comfort zone because you trust God, that shows that you have faith. So what do you, action do you need to take? For some of it, it may very well be putting your faith in Jesus. See, many people believe in Jesus. They know that the claims of Him are true, but they never do anything with that truth. They never rest on Him. And maybe you're here this morning where you look at Jesus and go, yeah, I, everything about Jesus is true. I know it's true. I believe it. But that's all you've ever done. You've never sat down on Christ to use the going back to the pew example. You've never put your faith and your weight and your trust in upon Christ and built your life on Christ. You go, I believe it, but you don't actually trust Him. And you've never actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. You must personally and fully rely on the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, as atoning sacrifice for your sins. Have you done that? You can't just agree with Christ. You need to put your faith in Christ. So let me ask you, we'll end with this. How good is your object of faith? Is it my broken down Chevy Cavalier? Or is it Jesus? I can't tell you who your faith is in. You can. Because only you know who you're building your life upon. If it's not Jesus, there's going to be difficulties in this life and in the next. 
But if you build your life on Christ, it's a solid foundation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace and your love. Father, I pray that you'd help us to build our lives upon you. I pray that you'd help us to have a faith that is in you, that is seen in our actions, Lord. Lord, we give this to you. Lord, we pray that if anybody that does not know you as Lord, God, Savior, and King, that has not fully put their trust in you, their faith in you, and relying upon you, that, that you would work in their lives and draw them to you, Lord. Lord, we ask this and we give this to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.